Please turn your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 4, and stand for the reading of God's Word this morning as we look at these few verses. I've told you in the past uh, that there's always something of a challenge to determine what to preach uh, during the Advent season because there are only so many birth narratives in the Bible, but there are all kinds of texts that deal with the significance of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and one of those is found in Galatians in the fourth chapter. Um, Chris Turnbow sent me a sermon by uh, Vody Bachman. I'd never heard him preach. I'd heard of him, but I'd never heard him preach. And this is the text that he preached. And it's not the same sermon. Uh, I don't plagiarize because I don't like the way other people write. Uh, I like my writing better. So, Plus, it's, it's mine. I own it. When you write it, you own it. So, But it was uh, inspired me and led me uh, to turn to this. Cause it is, uh, Puritans could likely write several books on these two verses that are contained here because they are so rich. Ephesians chapter 4. Um, Let's start in, in chapter 3 with verse uh, 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Now to him who is able to do four more abundant... I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong, cha- wrong book even. Galatians. Don't write that down, anybody. Um, verse Starting in verse 29 of chapter 3. Let's hear the word of the Lord. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is uh, under guardians and manners until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you were sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. The grass withers a flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. I would ask you to pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Our God and Heavenly Father, we depend upon your grace for any advancement spiritually, any becoming more conformed to the image of Christ. We depend upon your grace and the work of your Spirit. Oh God, we pray that you would bless as we approach your word this morning. I pray, O Lord, that you would be with me as I preach, that your spirit, O God, would give me unction from on high, that I would preach with conviction and clarity, and pray that you would be with your people as they sit and hear the word of God read, that we would be enthralled with your goodness and your greatness and your wisdom and your power and your mercy. To ask you to bless this time to us. And Father, we pray if any are here outside of faith that you, according to your grace, would bring them to salvation this morning. In Christ's name, amen. This text in Galatians and chapter 4, particularly uh, verses 4 and 5, are perhaps the most concise statement in the Bible of the unfolding of the plan of redemption. 
It is clearly stated here the who, the how, the why, and the goal of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Very clearly stated in these two verses. And as we go through this this morning to see why it is that Paul wrote this here. What was the background of it? What is the backdrop of him saying this? In chapter 19, J.A. Packer, classic literary masterpiece, Knowing God, opens with the question, what is a Christian? I want you to ask yourself that this morning. What is a Christian? And am I a Christian? As we go through this, that should be made clear to you. Um, he says this. The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest uh, answer I know is it is the one who has God as his father. This morning I would have us to see that since God planned to redeem a people, a sinful people for himself through the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great sentence? Christ is our God and Savior by the plan of his Father, the eternal plan. Every aspect of God's plan happens according to the way it was determined by God in eternity past. Three things this morning. The birth of Christ took place according to God's concern. The birth of Christ took place according to God's chronology. And the birth of Christ took place according to God's conclusion. We will not get to the last one this morning. This next Lord's Day, we will look at God's greatest gift to us, which is our adoption. Uh, But the birth of Christ took place according to God's uh, concern. We need to remember what Paul is doing here in this text. The Christians in Galatia were being taught heresy. They were being taught this, that Christ is necessary for you to have peace with God. It is important, it is essential to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ if you're going to go to heaven. But it is also essential, you Gentiles, that you have the Old Testament sign of the covenant placed upon you, which is that of circumcision. If you don't have that placed upon you, then you're not really saved. And that's Paul's concern, because what happens if you draw that conclusion, then you're basically saying this, it is not enough to have faith in Christ and faith in Christ alone, you must also help your own redemption by the works that you do, which is absolutely heresy uh, in the Scriptures, and it, it destroys the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. People in all ages, since the fall, by nature, are born in hostility against God. We are born at odds against God. Romans 3 tells us this. For we have already declared that both Jews and Gentiles are under sin, and it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. I have four children. I'm pretty grown now. But four sons that were born into my house and we raised. Let me tell you something. I did not have to teach those children to be selfish or to lose their tempers. It just came naturally to them as it comes naturally to us as well. So by nature, we are born with a heart that is in rebellion against God. And I love babies. I adore babies. I delighted in my children. I still do. I delight in my grandchildren. But they are born with hearts that by nature are in rebellion against the Lord. 
That's why David said in Psalm 51, in sin that my mother conceived me. Psalm 51 is a penitential psalm that David wrote after coming under conviction for his affair with Bathsheba and his murder of her husband. And as he's covering it up by lying. So David finally came under conviction of sin. He writes this psalm, Psalm 51, and there's a line in there that says, In sin did my mother conceive me. He's not saying his mother was a woman of loose morals. He was saying by nature. When I was conceived in the womb of my mother, by nature I had a heart that was in rebellion against God. And the Bible teaches us that very, very clearly. And so there's a problem because God is a God who is altogether holy, a God who is altogether good, a God who is altogether righteous, and he cannot and will not tolerate lawlessness. And that's what sin is, it's lawlessness. A little question of the catechism, question 14, what is sin? Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God, the sins of omission and commission. So we are sinful people. And uh, I'm sure that your grandparents, if you knew them, were wonderful people. I'm sure your parents are wonderful people. And I'm sure you are wonderful as well. But you're a sinner. That's the long and short of it. You're a sinner. And if you think you're not... You need to deal with your self-righteousness because you are deluded. One of the hardest things I ever had to deal with in this church was a man who started coming here, and many of you know what I'm going to say, who said he was not a sinner. He had no sin. I sat and read scripture to him. I reasoned with him. I went to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 8. He who says he has no sin is a liar. The truth is not in him, and he still rejected it. It's hard to convince someone that is a professing believer that they're a sinner when they're convinced they're not. And he finally ended up leaving the church, which was a good thing for the church because he was so disruptive uh, all the time. Well, by nature, again, we have a sinful, uh, we are born in sin, born with a sin nature, and that's called the doctrine of total depravity. Now, what total depravity is not teaching, it's not teaching that we are all as bad as we possibly can be. We're not all Adolf Hitlers. We're not all Saddam Husseins. We are not uh, as wicked as we can be to the nth degree. But it does teach that we are all sinners. And that every aspect of our being has been affected by sin, has been affected by the fall. So that my emotions, my thinking, the entirety of my being is influenced and affected by sin. That's the doctrine of total depravity. And so we are all under the strength of sin in our lives. And uh, again, in Galatia, they're teaching that uh, it's not enough to have faith in Christ. You must also do the work. And Paul says you're making shipwreck of your faith if you do that. And so um, you have to fill in what is lacking. And that hymn that goes, uh, Jesus paid it all. Well, that's just not quite correct. Jesus paid it all, but it's up to you to also pay and do your part as well. well this is a heresy in the church. Justification by faith is a major theme in the book of Galatians. Paul talks about it throughout the book. And so here at this place, in these verses uh, today, uh, he brings us to a conclusion of the necessity of the outworking of depravity and the necessity of justification by faith. And it's wonderful the way that he does this. He goes back to talk about the... Uh, Covenant made with Abraham. That's stated for us in chapter 12. I will be a God to you and to your children after you. That's chapter 12 of, of, of the book of Genesis. 
Of all the people in the world, Abraham, your seed is going to be a blessing to the entire world. You've got that great promise there. But then we go a little bit further on, and there is the law that comes down from Moses to the people. Well, promise and law are contradictory. It was by promise and grace, how can it possibly be that there is this law that we must adhere to? Well, that's what he deals with here in this text. We are to rest upon Christ and Christ alone. That is true conversion. And um, we are to believe and rest in Jesus and only in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was Paul's passion to see to it that the church understands that, but also that the Galatians understood that as well. That it was Christ and Christ only, and we base our hope upon him. And it's not uh, faith plus works. This illustration that he uses here in chapter 4. I mean that the heir, as long as he's a child, is no different from a slave. This is someone whose parents are both dead. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now, he's addressing Greeks, and he is also addressing Jews. To the Greeks, elementary principles were part of their pagan thought. It has to do with the elements of the world, but they were pagan through and through. To the Jews, it was the hope of having righteousness before God by keeping the law. And what he's basically doing here is you say you're like a child. A child who owns everything, but he is a slave because he is under the rule of managers. Those who would take care of the estate, so to speak, until the time when the trust comes to maturity and he's given what is his. So Paul says you're like that. Because you are looking to obedience to give you a standing with God. And that is never, ever going to happen. How good does one have to be for God to say, I accept you into my kingdom? How good does one have to be for that to happen? Perfect. What does Jesus say in John chapter uh, uh, 5 and verse 48? You shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That is impossible. We cannot be righteous like God is, who is righteous to the nth degree in and of himself. That's never, ever going to happen. And if you depend upon keeping the law or doing religious things to think that somehow and in some way that merits you peace with God, and therefore because I'm doing these things, I'm going to be in heaven, it's never going to happen. That's what Paul is pushing here. That's not going to happen. And it is like being under bondage because you simply don't know. I was good enough yesterday. Am I good enough today? I don't know. That bondage and that oppression that trying to keep the law for your salvation brings to you. And Paul says, these are elementary things. This is uh, foolishness in your thinking. Uh, This is contrary to grace and contrary uh, to the clear teaching that you have received uh, from me and from the other apostles. And so the things of the world, their pagan religion, 
and their misunderstanding, the Jews' misunderstanding of the law of the Old Testament is worthless as far as earning them salvation. Now, let me make this clear. We are to obey the law of God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's what Christ said that. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He does not say, if you love me, you're going to keep them perfectly. He doesn't say that. Because he knows we can't. But our goal in life, our passion in life, our aim in life is to obey Christ. If you love me. You see, we do it not out of, of slavery. Not out simply because it's commanded, but out of a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But those keeping of the commandments, that obedience does not in any way whatsoever merit us righteousness so that we can go to heaven. Our righteousness is ours through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a freeing thing that is. Because I'm justified by faith. That's what Paul is trying to get across to these people. God is altogether through and through holy. Altogether through and through good. Altogether through and through just. And so that we read in Psalm 5 and verse 4 and 6. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies, bloodthirsty and deceitful men. The Lord abhors because he is through and through a holy God. This is your God. You're today to worship. This is the God that you worship. You're today to sing praises. This is the God that you sing praises to. He is infinite in holiness. Gerhardus Voss, a theologian, said this, Holiness is not only an attribute to be coordinated with the other attributes distinguished in the divine nature. Rather, it is something coexistent with and applicable to everything that can be predicated to God. It is, if you will, the umbrella under which all the other attributes exist. He is holy in everything that characterizes him and reveals him, holy in his goodness and grace, no less in his righteousness and wrath. John 3.16 but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, or his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Behind the whole Christmas story is the love of God. God's love. That's why Christ came into the world, for God so loved. And Paul is trying to get these Galatians to understand that that love of God in sending Christ into the world was sufficient for their salvation. Trust in no one else. What does the hymn say? Nothing in my hands I bring simply to thy cross. I cling. Well, the second thing is, the birth of Christ took place according to God's chronology. It's trying to do with the seas. So chronology. Everybody knows what chronology means, right? It means time. Uh, Christ was born at the exact moment determined by God. The birth of Jesus was not a chance event. The birth of Jesus was not happenstance. The birth of Christ was not a second thought. It was planned before time. What an amazing God we have. Planned before there was time. Time was created by God. As well as everything else that exists, all of it was created by God. 
So the birth of Christ took place according to God's set purpose, according to God's sovereignty. Nothing happens, it says, nothing happens by chance. There are no chance events in the world. Because if you say there's a chance of it, then something has somehow gotten out of control of God's sovereignty. Catechism question 11. What is God's providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all of his creatures and all of their actions. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. That God is sovereign over everything that happens. And God was sovereign over the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ as to when it happened. He says here, in the fullness of time, Christ was born. At the exact moment, at the exact place, which is predicted in the Old Testament, at the exact precise time set by God in the past. Listen to this. See if you recognize it. Every time I look at you, I don't understand why you let the things you did get so out of hand. You have managed better. You would have managed better if you had planned it. Now, why you've chosen such a backward time and such a strange land. If you came today, you could have reached the whole nation, whole nation Israel in 4 B.C. Uh, has no mass communication. Reached beyond the land of Israel. Uh, 4 B.C. has no mass communication. Don't you get me wrong. Don't you get me wrong. Don't you get me wrong. Now, don't get me wrong. I only want to know. I only want to know. Who are you? Jesus Christ, superstar. That was written by the chief of plagiarizers, a man named, uh, I heard Scott tickle, tickle over there. Uh, uh, Lloyd Wright. Um, the words were written by a man named last name of Rice. Frank Lloyd Rice. Not, what was his name? Ru- who? Andrew Lloyd Webber. Wright's an architect. Never mind. You see what happens when I don't write? Here it is right here. I'm sorry. So uh, in these lyrics, he's describing here someone who, this is in the movie, if you saw the movie, which I hope you did. If you didn't see it, don't go see it. I saw it in 1970. Uh, Judas Iscariot sings these words. And, you know, Judas Iscariot is the one who betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's basically revealing here is he has no clue who Christ is. And if he'd simply come at a different time in history, then all things would have been better. All things would have been good because it could have been televised. Mary could have gone to a doctor. Could have proven she was a virgin. They could have had the cameras there. Filming the birth of Jesus. All these things. They could have seen Christ do these miracles on television. You want to know what? It wouldn't have made a bit of difference. To a non-believing world, it would have made no difference whatsoever. Because it is a matter of faith. Remember what Jesus said to Thomas? I'm not going to believe he's been raised from the dead unless I put my fingers in his hand and put my hand in his side. I'm not going to believe it. He's not there the first Sunday when Christ appears to the disciples. He's there the second Sunday and Christ all of a sudden appears there and he says to Thomas, Here, put your fingers in my hands. Here, put your hand in my side. And he says, my Lord and my God. 
What does Jesus say? You believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they believe. In the fullness of time, Christ came at that exact moment. And certainly, if you know the history of the time there, all it was after the Hellenistic period, after the, uh, the conquering of Alexander the Great, who died in 323 B.C., what was the common language? It was Greek. The Old Testament was translated in 250 B.C. into Greek. And so you had a common language where the gospel could be preached. You had roads that were in Rome that could be traveled. So we can't say, why didn't God do it at a different time? Quite frankly, it's none of our business as to why God didn't do it at a different time. He did it when he chose to do it. So not only then do we understand that it came at the exact moment in time that Christ was born, but also we read here that he was born of a woman. This confirms to us the true humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was fully God and he was fully man at the same time. How do we know that? Well, for one thing, we know he was fully man because he got tired and because he bled and because he died. We know he was God because the ultimate thing is he forgave sins. You know that story. Where they bring the paralytic in and Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees are grumbling and saying, well, who does this guy think he is? Only God can forgive sins. And Christ perceives what they're thinking. And he says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven? Or take your mat and walk? I can tell you, your sins are forgiven. doesn't mean a thing. You can't prove it. Christ could not demonstrate that, right? He couldn't show that. He declared it. He had the authority to declare it. It was true, but how do you prove it? So he says this, in order that you may know the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins, I tell you, take up your mat and leave. And he heals him. Thus verifying his claims to be able to forgive sins. But the ultimate way that it is accepted is through faith in what God tells us in the Scriptures. Truly God and truly man. The last thing is he was born under the law. Now what does that mean? Christ was subject to the demands of the law. As you are. As I am. He had the love of the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, strength, and mind. He had to trust the Lord his God in all things. He had to keep the law perfectly. And he did. You and I can't do that. You and I don't want to do that. Be really honest. There are simply times we don't want to keep the law. We'd rather sin. We'd rather break God's commandment. We'd rather not forgive somebody. We'd rather hold a grudge. We'd rather stay angry. We'd rather talk about them. We'd rather gossip and see their Character destroyed rather than apologize and be forgiving. We choose to sin because we want to at times. And we don't really want to be confronted with it. We don't want to hear it. We just don't. But Christ kept the law, every aspect of the law. In order that, we read in the scriptures, he was able to redeem those who were under the law. How did he do that? He died for us on the cross of Calvary. Now, I love this. God's concern 
He gave his son. Again, this text and the verses 4 and 5, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. Born of a woman, born of the law. Why? To redeem those who are under the law. There is uh, the great redemption. As God looked at us as we live our lives and we confess we're lawbreakers. We confess not only have we broken God's laws actually, we have broken them mentally as well. And as we would stand before God in the judgment of God, as he looked down upon us, he would say to each of us, you're guilty. Guilty. Adultery, guilty. I've never done that. Guilty. Guilty. Look at your heart. Look at your desires. Look at your lack of contentment. You're guilty. I've never worshipped an idol. You're guilty. You've loved things more than you've loved me. God would say to us, you're guilty of this law. I have never stolen. You're guilty of this too. You have desired things that aren't yours. You're guilty. You've coveted. You've stolen by your very attitude. Maybe not your actions, but you're guilty. And so they're standing before the judgment seat of God. And we look at God's law. He says, guilty. And the punishment for that is death. And not simply giving up physical life. But the pains of hell for all eternity. Where is our hope? Christ. It's in Jesus. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God in him. So Christ took our wrath. God's wrath and condemnation. Uh, for us upon himself on the cross of Calvary. And now he says, not guilty. Lord, I've done this. Not guilty. Why? Because he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he may bring us to God. First Peter 3 and verse 18. Memorize that verse. We don't have time to go into the doctrine of adoption, which is the next portion of this, which we'll look at this, this next Lord's Day. But as uh, we uh, live our lives, live it recognizing God's amazing love for you. God's amazing sovereignty. God's amazing wisdom. That someone perfect had to die for those who were guilty and there were none to do so. And so God did it. By sending his son to take on flesh, God did it. Now be amazed at God's commitment that he takes us to himself at conversion throughout our life and forever. That's our great God. Wake up. We serve a great king. Let's pray.